You're listening to a podcast from Catalyst Vineyard Church, Aberdeen. You can find out more about our church, as well as more talks on our website, catalyst.vin. It's fantastic to be with you. We're going to open up the scriptures together this morning. And so if you've got your Bible with you, uh, John chapter 17 is where we're going to be in the Bible. John chapter 17. If you don't have a Bible, like a physical book version, you can always download an app on the App Store or whatever, and you can find a Bible, and we'd love you to do that. Okay, so I don't know whether you've ever played golf uh, I'd never played golf in my life right up until the point. It was just kind of in between my second and third year of theological college when my friend said to me, hey, let's go and play golf. So we go onto the golf course and uh, I put the ball down and I take the golf club. And I mean, I don't mind telling you that actually it turns out I was something of a natural because, uh, you know, I, I addressed the ball and I swung the club and you'll never believe it. I actually hit the ball. I mean, I was thrilled, and, and the ball went like, I don't know, 10 meters, 12 meters, something like that in front of me, and I was like, well, it went in general direction that I wanted it to. I was absolutely delighted, and well, I guess that's how golf gets you, right? You, you know, like, you, you only need to hit kind of one good shot every few rounds, and you think, well, I can't stop playing now because I'm on the edge of brilliance. And uh, the problem with that is that the next thing that happens is that people start to give you advice. And there's loads and loads of advice, you know, about how you hold the club and about where, where you position your feet and about how much you bend your knees and about how you keep your back straight or bent over or, you know, how straight your arms stay and all these kinds of things. And so then from that point on, whenever you address the ball, instead of just being able to hit it like you used to be able to hit it, no, 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 you can't do that anymore. This time it's like complicated. You've got to remember all these different things and you're so concerned about all the, that you've got to hold the club right, got to stand right, got to have your feet right, got to have your knees right, got to have your back right, got to have your arms right, and that, that you can never play golf again. And it seems to me that that is kind of a metaphor for life. There are so many things that we could be concerned about. In fact, lots of things that we are concerned about. And, uh, you, you know, you could look at the global political situation or the environmental crisis or uh, the economic crisis or, you know, who's the prime minister this week or who's going to be the first minister next week. And, and then there are all the other things that, that are kind of vying for our attention. Do you know that it was a fair trade fortnight just recently, like a really important and significant thing? It was also national. Hang on. Let me get it right. National Nutrition Month just finished, which also coincided with National Cornish Pasty Week. And I don't know how those two things fit together. Uh, and it, bizarrely, it was even National Umbrella Month. And so there are so many things that we could be concerned about. And, and, you know, Jesus at one point says to Martha, he says, Martha, Martha, you're concerned and anxious about so many things. And the truth is, I feel like saying to Jesus, me too, Jesus. Me too. I'm concerned and anxious about so many things. And so it seems to me that when we're concerned and anxious about so many things, what we maybe could do is to start to ask the Lord Jesus, Jesus, what is it that you're concerned about? What are you prioritizing in your concern? And 
so we're in this series called Last Words, which is really an opportunity for us as a church family across all of our different locations to go on a journey with Jesus towards the cross. And, and uh, it's just been a beautiful time just focusing on the final hours of Jesus's earthly ministry before he's arrested. And uh, so he's broken bread with his disciples and he's taught them for several hours. And now we have the moment where Jesus is turning away from his disciples and towards his Father in heaven uh, and he begins to pray. And first of all, in chapter 17, verses 1 to 5, he starts to um, pray about himself. And then in verses 6 onwards, he begins to pray for his disciples and also for us, which is just an astonishing thing, the thought that he could be in that moment praying for us. And so we're going to jump in John chapter 17, verse 9. He prays this, I pray for them, that's us and the disciples, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you've given me, for they're yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None of them has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, but they are not of the world any more than I'm of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They're not of the world, even as I'm not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them, for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I'm in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Okay, and that's as far as we're going to go in the scripture this morning. So in his final hours, as Jesus is praying, we learn what it is that Jesus is concerned about. And actually, Jesus seems to be concerned about three things. Firstly, verse 11, he's praying, Holy Father, protect them. So he's concerned about our well-being. Secondly, verse 17, sanctify them. He's concerned about our purpose. And then verse 21, he prays, I pray that all of them may be one. So he's concerned about our unity. And so really the premise of this message this morning is this. Oh, you may not be watching in the morning, it occurs to me, but some people are watching it in the morning. Uh, is this, that amongst all the joys and all of the chaos and all of the challenges and all of the struggles of life, that Jesus' concerns may perhaps become our concerns and our priorities. 
So firstly, he's concerned about our well-being. Verse 11, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. And then later in verse 15, he goes on to say, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. It's amazing, even at this moment of extreme pressure, he's concerned for our protection, our safety, our well-being. About six months after I became a Christian, I went away, I was only 15 years old, so I went away with a whole bunch of other teenagers and we went away to a youth camp for a week in, I don't know, Sussex, somewhere like that. And uh, um, my friend's sister was dispatched to come and pick us up and so she drives in her, I mean what can only be described as a tin can on wheels, she arrives, we pile into the car, we put all of our tents and stuff into the car and as we're driving home, we're on the outside lane of the motorway. I guess we're doing in the region of 70 miles an hour, something like that. And suddenly, and for no reason that we could ever discover, two tires on one side of the car blew out at the same time spontaneously. And so the car started to swerve all over the place and it was going across all three lanes of traffic. And I remember there was one lady driving on the inside lane uh, and, and she looked at us and we looked at her and we, we were all terrified and we smashed into her, her car. There was nothing that could be done about it. The car starts to spin around and uh, you know we, the smell of burning rubber was just unbelievable. The screeching sound and the crashing sounds, uh, all of these things are things that stay with you for a really long time. And honestly, in that moment, we thought we were going to die. But we didn't die. You know, the truth is that the car eventually came to a stop, roughly speaking, on the hard shoulder and we climbed out of the windows, Dukes of Hazard style, and we sat on the bank next to the hard shoulder and we worshipped Jesus for saving our lives and we believe that that's what he'd done and if you'd have asked us in that moment you know what's just happened there we would have said Jesus has saved our lives and if you'd have asked, if you'd asked me now I'd say the same thing in that moment I believe sincerely that Jesus saved my life but the difference is like the truth is, if you'd have asked me then, I would have said, well, that's what Jesus always does. You know, Jesus will always protect me. He'll always be, be there to save me. You know, nothing uh, bad will ever happen to me because Jesus is going to protect me. And I would have pointed to verses like these where Jesus is praying for the protection of his disciples and his friends. These days, I would have a slightly more complex response because the truth is that I, you know, some of my closest friends have been severely bereaved and some horrific things have happened to those who I dearly and deeply love. And so the question of whether or not Jesus protects us is a big question, which has, it requires a, um, a nuanced and complex answer because it's a complex question. And, and so forgive me if we just go there for a moment, because I, I think this is really, really important. You know, uh, I've been a pastor for a while, and, and what I observe is that most people, if something really horrible happens to someone else, most Christians can, can kind of live with that. They can cope with that. They're like, okay, I think my theology and my understanding can, can, can deal with somebody else having a rough time. But when it happens to them, when they go through difficulty, 
that's when the rubber hits the road. And, and for many people, this is a moment where their belief system and their worldview and their understanding of who God is, is severely tested. And so this is really, really important. In what sense is Jesus praying for their protection? You know, it's interesting to me, like on the very day when I opened up the scriptures on this passage to begin to prepare this talk, um, it's funny how, you know, if you follow a Bible reading plan, the, the reading plan just throws up verses that are often relevant to what's going on in your life. And, and on the very day when I started reading about this, I was in Acts chapter 12. And in Acts chapter 12, the Jewish king, who's King Herod, but not that King Herod, a different King Herod, he, um, well, let me just read it, Acts chapter 12. Uh, this king had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with the approval, with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. So let's just understand what's going on there. You know, uh, there were 12 disciples. Of the 12, there was the kind of inner core, the three, Peter, James, and John. John is the one who wrote this passage that we've been looking at. James and John are the other two. James is his brother. And in this moment, we're reading that James has been put to death by the sword, by the Jewish leaders. And Peter, the other one of the three, has been put in prison. Jesus has prayed for their protection, and yet one of them is put to death with the sword. In fact, even just like we just read from chapter 17, but if we were to go forward to chapter 16, what we discover is, is Jesus promising his friends, the world will hate you. And some people in the world will kill you, and they'll believe that they're serving God as they do it. And then even just at the very end of chapter 16, the last verse of chapter 16, Jesus, his final moment of teaching, he says this, in this world, you will have trouble. So, in what sense is Jesus praying for our protection if all of these things may and do happen to us? Well, for me, the, the clue or the answer is found in verse 15. He says this, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world. In other words, uh, Father, I'm not praying that they be removed from the pain and the grief and the sorrow and the sickness of this world. That's not what I'm praying. He goes on to pray this. I'm praying that you protect them from the evil one. So Jesus is not praying for our, uh, that we'd be removed from the pain and sickness and sorrow of the world. He's praying that in that context, the evil one would not have his way. 25 years ago, every self-respecting Christian in the Western world had the same bookmark in their Bible. And it, uh, it, it, uh, you, you don't know what I'm about to say, but, but as soon as I say this, some of you will be like, yeah, I had one of those bookmarks. On the bookmark, there was a picture of a sandy beach. And then on the sandy beach, there are two sets of footprints in the sand. And then there's a poem. Some of you know, now know what I'm talking about. There's a poem on it. And in the poem is essentially a man looking back on his life. And as he's looking back on his life, he sees 
these two sets of footprints and one of them is his footprints and the other one is God's foot footprints and then he looks on in horror and he realizes that that this represents his life and in the moments of deepest struggle and pain in his life there was only one set of footprints suddenly it goes down from two sets of footprints to one and so he says to God God in the hardest times in my life you you abandoned me you went missing and God says to him no I didn't go missing in those moments I carried you in those moments I think that that is exactly what Jesus is praying for he's saying father would you carry them through the toughest moments would you not allow the evil one to snatch them out of your hand would you be with them would you be present for them it turns out that the NIV translates this word as protect, Father, protect them. But it's almost the only translation that does that. Nearly every other translation uses a different word, and it's the word keep. Father, keep them. Keep them by your word. I love that. The word keep is, a, I don't know about you, but for me it has a way more tender feel to it. There's a te the tenderness of the heart of God in it, and also the sense of refuge, that God would be a tender refuge in the world. As a pastor, you know, over and over again, I've seen people go through stuff in their lives, and, and I think, I literally don't know how you're getting out of bed this morning, or any morning. I don't know how you're going to the shops. I don't, I don't know how you're functioning with all of that happening in your life. And actually the truth is that God has been keeping them in those moments. He's been carrying them. He's been keeping their faith. He's been keeping them in his love. He's been keeping their strength. He's been keeping them. Jesus' concern, you know, as he heads towards the cross is for us, for our well-being. He knows how painful the world can be. He's concerned that we would be kept in the Father's love. That's the first thing. He prays for our well-being. Secondly, he's concerned for our purpose. Verse 17, Jesus prays, sanctify them by the truth. As you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be sanctified. The word sanctified isn't a word that comes up very often at the McDonald's drive through window. And so we could all be forgiven for not really being completely confident of understanding what the word sanctify means. And so I won't ask you, there's no written test at the end of this, but I just looked it up. And it seems like the word sanctified means consecrated for a heavenly purpose. I love that consecrated and set aside for a heavenly purpose so in a sense what Jesus is praying in this passage is father would you set them aside for a sacred purpose as you sent me into the world I've sent them into the world for them I set myself aside for a sacred purpose that they too wherever they find themselves would be set aside for a sacred purpose I was just reading this morning about the temple and all the different gold bowls and gold stands and different things that were made for the temple uh, of Solomon. And I was thinking that that is what consecrated means. That's what, that's what uh, sanctified means. Those, those items in, the, in, the, in the, the holy of holies in the temple or the tabernacle, they were they were set aside for a sacred purpose. They looked in a way, they, they were like, they were just bowls, they were just stands, but they were, they were heavenly 
sacred bowls. When I was in primary school, I remember going on a, on a coach trip from our primary school up into London to go to the Science Museum. And, and I remember sitting around in a circle and different objects being passed around the circle and one of them was a meteorite. I don't know whether you've ever held a meteorite before, uh, but that was my first time. In fact, I think that might have been my only time of holding a meteorite. And I remember a couple of things about it. One of them was it just basically looked like a stone, you know, maybe slightly heavier than a normal stone, but it was basically a stone. It looked like every other stone. And yet the second thing was it was from outer space. This, this stone, like it looked like every other stone, but it's from somewhere else entirely. And that's what Jesus is praying for, for his disciples and also for us. You know, we, we still eat, we still sleep, we still work, we still play just like everyone else, but we are not from here. We're from somewhere else. Our hearts beat to the, uh, march to the beat of a different drum. We, we have different values, we're passionate about different things, we're seeking an entirely different goal to everyone else. We look like everyone else, we are not like everyone else. Sanctify them. Set them apart for heaven's purposes, for heaven's worship, for heaven's justice. Our daughter, when she was a toddler, she was the most extroverted toddler you've ever met in your life. And, and uh, one time my wife Taryn had gone out shopping on a Saturday morning and I was responsible for making breakfast. So I'm in the kitchen and I'm kind of making, I don't know, scrambled eggs or something like that at the stove. And suddenly I can hear um, just crashing and, and um, banging happening from all over the house. And, and I'm like, oh my goodness, what on earth is happening? And I, I run towards the noise and there's devastation and desolation everywhere and I get to my daughter and, and in the particular room where, where she is every single thing that could hold anything every single receptacle or toy box has been overturned and there are just toys absolutely everywhere and I was like oh my goodness what on earth are you doing she said dad I'm looking for my mirror I'm like okay why do you want to find your mirror she said daddy I want to remember who I am I think it's really important that we remember who we are. We might look like everyone else, we might eat, work, sleep and play like everyone else, but we're like a meteorite. We are not of the world. We have different values. Let's not forget who we are. I wonder, just, think, just stop for a moment to think about where you're going to be tomorrow. I wonder where you're going to be tomorrow and start to think about what would it look like to be sanctified, to be set aside for a holy purpose, a sacred purpose in that place. I often think about a social worker who I knew who was, he worked with long-term offenders and sex offenders. That was his job. And every morning he would arrive slightly early at work and he would sit at his desk and he would open up the Bible and he would read a chunk of scripture and he would ask God to fill him in that place and to use him in that place before he carried on with the rest of his day. It seems to me that's someone who understands that they've been set aside for a sacred purpose. What does it look like for you wherever you're going to be tomorrow to do the same? Jesus is concerned for our purpose and lastly he's concerned for our unity. 
any moment now, G Judas is going to come with a detachment of soldiers and they're going to arrest Jesus and take him away. Amazing to me that Jesus' final words of prayer are for the unity of the church. He, he's already prayed it in verse 11 and then here it is again in verse 20. My prayer is not for the disciples alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that's us, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you're in me and I'm in you. He prays for our unity. Do you know the local church is a beautiful thing. I, I was thinking recently about someone who joined our church a while ago called Neil. Neil had worked in toy shops his, his whole life, except for some national service as a young man. And, and the most recent toy shop that he'd worked in was just around the corner from one of our sites. And so, uh, you know, he, he'd eventually retired. He was an older man. Uh, and one Sunday morning, he decided that he was going to go out. He was peckish for salad. He was going to make himself a salad for lunch. So he goes to the shop. He buys some salad. Uh, he's carrying a bag. He's got a cucumber tucked under his arm he's walking past our church building and then uh, the doors are open and and he hears the sound of of a, a local church at worship you know giving their hearts to god in worship and he's just compelled to look inside the door and as he looks inside the door he just happens to catch somebody's eye and they say oh do you want to come in and so he's like yeah okay so he walks into the church with a cucumber under his arm and he's just captivated by the worship of the church Anyway, after the service is finished, he's kind of chatting away and then he's like, do you do this every week? And they say, yeah, we do this every week. Why don't you come back next week? And he says, okay, I will. So next week he comes back. Uh, this time he doesn't have a cucumber under his arm. Uh, but we, by this point, we don't just call him Neil. We call him Cucumber Neil, which is a name that lasted for a really long time. And uh, we're just chatting away. Uh, again, he's, he's loving it. He comes for the whole service. He comes a few weeks in a row, then he fills in one of those cards to say, hey, listen, this is my place. I want to be here. I, I enjoy this here. You know, this is like becoming a community for me. He joins a connect group and in the connect group, he makes lifelong friends and, and uh, you know, they pick him up from his house. They take him to connect group. They drop him back afterwards. Sometimes they meet up during the week and hang out together. And uh, he loved it. I remember one Sunday morning, we were saying, hey, listen, if you want to become a Christian this morning, just stick up your hand wherever you are. And I, I don't think anyone in the history of our church has ever put, kind of stuck up their hand so clearly and so enthusiastically. And he gave his life to Jesus. Sometime after that, we baptized him. And the truth is that he didn't keep very well and he was often in and out of hospital. And so the church would go and visit him in hospital and bring him the things that he was requesting and then eventually when he was discharged someone from the from the church would pick him up from the hospital and take him back to his home and that happened a lot of times and then one one day whilst he was in hospital the doctor said to him neil you're not coming out this time this is it and so people prayed with him and and visited him still until eventually he was promoted to glory and he died. And then we celebrated his life and we buried him. And do you know, there are literally hundreds of stories that I could tell of people like Cucumber Neil, 
people who've encountered the church and through the church have encountered the Lord Jesus and their lives in this world and in the world to come were completely changed. Do you see the local church is a beautiful thing and the enemy, the devil, he hates it. And he wants to do everything he can to destroy the local church. And the single greatest threat that the enemy poses to the local church is the threat that he poses to our relationships. And what he does is he sows seeds of division and dissension into our hearts and our minds and eventually things bust apart. You know, like in the time we've been in the northeast of Scotland for 20 years and in that time, several times I've witnessed, as a, you know, as a bystander, a local church kind of implode and disappear without a trace. And when you kind of get, look at it, it's never theology that blows the church up. It's never the songs that they're singing. It's never their understanding of what the church should be like even really. In every case, it's about two people who've loved each other, who've walked through life with each other, maybe being godparents to each other's children or whatever, who've fallen out about something absolutely stupid. Eventually they can't look each other in the eye then they can't sit in the same row, then they can't be in the same building, and people start to take sides, and the enemy is just sowing these seeds of division into the whole thing, and before you know it, the, the church is irreparably, irreparably, it's damaged. And so maybe that's why Jesus prays as the very last prayer, he prays for the unity of the church, because he understands if the church isn't united, then it will be, its mission will be deeply compromised and eventually the, the church will just disappear without a trace. And so we just have a decision to make. Like what, a, what, what priority will our relationships take in our lives? And we have, we, we have a decision to make, which is, you know, if someone who we love does something surprising, will we give them the benefit of the doubt? If someone hurts us, offends us, will we be gracious towards them? Will we be committed to forgiveness? Will we make sure that in every case we chase after people who've gone missing, we, for people who, who, who we seem to have offended, we, we go over and above to try and repair those relationships? You know, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 3, he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And I looked it up in the original Greek, do you know what it means? Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Make every effort. We are concerned and anxious about lots and lots of things. Jesus is concerned for three things. He's concerned for our well-being. He's concerned for our purpose. And he's concerned that the Holy Spirit would bind us together and that we would love one another as Jesus has loved us. And maybe if those are his concerns, maybe perhaps we might make them our priorities. Let's pray together. And Lord Jesus, I just recognize that, that I've touched on some things that may be a bit sore for some people watching this morning. People have been through some stuff or who are going through stuff at the moment. 
And Father, I pray the same prayer that Jesus prayed. Would you keep them in your love? Would you keep them? Would you keep them? Would you draw near to them? Would you carry them? And I pray, God, that you'd help us to think through who we're being, who we're becoming, how we're behaving in the places we find ourselves this week. We want to be people of purpose. We want to be people who are serving heaven's agenda in the places where we find ourselves. And so we pray that you'd fill us with your spirit and send us into the world and into this week. And all God's people said, Amen, Amen.